Genesis 33, just 17 more chapters to go. And we'll be finished, and you all will be authorities on Genesis. We'll have a big quiz at the end. Um, nobody's an authority on Genesis. Um, a lot to cover today, and we're, again, just to give you a very brief review. Uh, last week we saw that Jacob was wrestling with an angel, God himself, and in that wrestling match, his name was changed from Jacob, meaning deceiver, to Israel, meaning wrestling with. And um, we see that Jacob had a, his hip out of place, and he would be limping the rest of his life, probably reminding him of his deceptive practices. He's been a, an incredibly deceiving person up to this point. And there's still a lot of Jacob left in him, even though his name has changed to Israel. But we're going to look at some conflict today. Because all of us have conflict in our lives. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the chapter. And if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I want you to read along. And here's what I want you to be thinking. Keeping in mind that up to this point, Jacob has fled to a far country in the north, 430 miles away from Canaan. And he is living with his uncle Laban. We've already been through all that. Because he fled from his brother Esau, whom he cheated to some degree out of his birthright, which means that Esau, being the older, would have inherited, received all the inheritance. And then he stole the blessing, which means that God would have blessed him and conferred favor upon him. And so Esau's last words were, I want to kill him. And so he leaves, and he's on his way back now because God has called him back to the land. And now Esau is coming to meet Jacob whom he hasn't seen in 20 years, and he has 400 men coming with him. And nobody has a clue until you read this chapter what Esau is thinking or how things are going to be resolved. But keep in mind, God promised Jacob that he would get back to the land and that God would protect him. But like all of us, Jacob is having trouble believing that. And as I read this, I want you to try to figure out whether you think Jacob is sincere or insincere. Some is pretty obvious. And some is not so obvious. So let me read the, the chapter. We'll pray and dive in. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 33. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and the children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves, meaning all the cattle that I've met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me of all that I need. Because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said, my Lord knows that the children are tender 
and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven too hard uh, one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord Seir, in Seir. That's the place that Esau lives. Esau said, then let me leave some men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made the shelters of his livestock. That's why the place is called Succoth, or shelters. After Jacob came from Padanaram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped near the site of the city. 400 pieces of silver he bought, uh, for 100 pieces of silver he bought um, this, for the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. Then he set up an altar and he called it El Elohe Israel. Father, there's a great deal here. And there's a lot about us that is here. And I pray that you'd reveal that to us, that we might be changed by it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you three questions. I'm not interested in the hand raise. I already think I probably know the answer, at least maybe percentage-wise. But let me ask you this question. Um, question number one. Do you believe that there is anybody in your life at this present time, be it employer somebody from church in the past, fraternity, brother, sister, whatever, that you have unresolved conflict with. My guess is there'd be 100% of you. Somebody in your life, it could even be a parent, it could be a sibling, it could be any, that you have an unresolved conflict with. Second question is this, have you tried to resolve the conflict? My guess is since so many people are conflict-averse, that the percentage would probably be about 30% of people that have actually tried to resolve the conflict. Third question is, how many of you have tried to resolve the conflict and you ended up resolving the conflict? That would probably be about 10% would be my guess, and just my experience as, as, as a pastor. So conflict and conflict resolution and reconciliation are big. To reconcile means to be made right with. Everything is back to where it was in that particular relationship be it a marriage, be it a conflict with siblings, or whatever it happens to be. You've made things right. That is not easy, and we're going to walk through some of that today as we look at this particular subject matter. If we were to ask the question, what actually causes conflict, uh, it, it would be just an endless number of, of answers. But ultimately, the Bible says, only by pride comes contention. Conflict comes somehow in the broad spectrum of pride. Conflict comes by sin. Conflict can also just come by different personality differences, and even that can be sinful just because you don't see things or understand things the way other people see things. It could be religious conflict. It could be national conflicts. There are all types of things where pride is really at the base of it, where people are simply not willing to lay down their arms and talk things through. And this is what has happened as we've traced the conflict that Jacob has had, not only with his own father, and even a little bit to agree with his mother, but his brother Esau, and then as he goes north, he lives with his uncle Laban, and there's conflict there, there's cheating and lying and deceiving. It is just a mess all the way through. But there is something to learn about this, because conflict is part of life. 
And the resolution of conflict is, is huge. And so, as we look at Jacob and Esau, let's go back and find out where this all began. I want you to turn to chapter 25, just as a reminder, uh, Genesis chapter 25. And I want you to look down, in Genesis chapter 25, I want you to look down at verses 29, uh, or, yeah, 29 through 34 in chapter 25. Here's what we read, chapter 25, 39, um, I did this in the first service. There we go, I got it. 29 uh, on down to 34 in chapter 25. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Right away, we are introduced to two completely different personalities. Esau is coming in from the field from hunting. Jacob is home cooking and cleaning, all right? There is two completely different personalities. It isn't one that's right or wrong. They're just different. And you can see conflict arising. You can also see something about their personalities right up front. Esau is extremely impetuous. He comes in and he says, quick, give me some of that stew or I'm going to die. He's not going to die, you know, but, he's, but he says this. And Jacob, knowing his brother's impetuous personality, decides he's going to take advantage of it. Sell me your birthright. I'll give you some stew if you sell me your birthright. The right to the family inheritance. Who would do that? Esau. He's hungry. And he's a crazy man, all right? So he, he does this and he realizes he's been ripped off. And then a little bit later on, we find that they have another conflict where Isaac is going to bless the elder, which is Esau, but because of all kinds of manipulations, he blesses Jacob, which he was supposed to bless because Jacob was supposed to get the blessing through the Messiah would come, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So right away we see all this, this conflict going on, but we see that Esau, very impetuous, sort of just, you know, ready, fire, aim kind of a personality. Jacob, very cautious, manipulative, shrewd, knows how to take advantage of the situation, a little, little quieter type of, of personality. But these personality differences are huge. And then we hear Jacob or Esau saying, the last thing he, that, that uh, Jacob even hears out of Esau's mouth is that he wants to kill him. And that's why Jacob flees north 400 and some miles. And here's the interesting thing. No one seems to be trying to resolve the conflict. I don't see the parents stepping in and Rebecca saying to Isaac, hey, listen, the boys are having a little feud here. Esau wants to kill his brother. Can we sit down and talk this thing through? Nobody is, is saying anything. But there's something else about Esau that Rebecca makes known. She says to Jacob, go north to your uncle Laban 
until Esau seething dies down, meaning this will pass. She knows him well enough to know that's his personality. He just explodes. Now, there's a bunch of things here that we refer to as Bible echoes. A Bible echo is when you see something usually way back in the book of Genesis, and then you see it again, maybe in a completely different narrative, a different storyline, but it's echoed throughout the scriptures. It's a never-ending reminder of the condition of the human heart. And let's take a look at something here. Notice very carefully in the first three verses, I'm just going to read these, and then we'll talk about, talk about it. Listen carefully. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and their two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front. Who's going to get killed first? Leah and her children next. Which wife does he love least? Leah. And Rachel and Joseph in the rear. But he himself goes ahead and bows down. Now, here's favoritism. Can you imagine how you would feel if your father sent you at the front lines, all right, and kept your brother back or your sister or whatever? I mean, they are feeling, and this is going to be echoed down because Joseph is last. And there's going to be favoritism towards Joseph through Jacob with a coat of many colors. That's coming up, folks. That's, that's just around the corner, all right? And then we begin to see that echoed down through the ages. There's always been this, this, this issue of favoritism. It was Isaac who favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. Jacob favors Rachel over Leah. Jacob favors Joseph over his other brothers. And it's just a multiplication. It's an echo, and we see this in other portions of Scripture as we move forward. Here's another little echo. In verse 15, here's the surprise. Or verse 4, here's the surprise. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Here's the echo. Jacob has done something really bad to his brother and flees to a far country and in return is fearful that his brother is really going to be angry with him. And he bows down, and he, and he wants to make things right, but his brother runs to him and hugs him and kisses him. Remind you of any story in the New Testament? Where a son goes off into the far country, he's offended his father, but when he returns, the father throws his arms around him and kisses him. The prodigal son. These are all Biblical echoes. These are all things in the divine inspiration of Scripture, and there are multitudes of these that are, that are found in the Old Testament that are born out again someplace in the New Testament. But what we find here is, again, some personality issues. We find that Esau is warm. He's engaging. He's not interested in receiving uh, Jacob's gift, and it's a lot of money. It's a wealth. We looked at it last week. We saw all the cattle and everything he was wanting to give his brother. Why? Probably to make restitution. This is what you should have had had I not cheated you out of your birthright. And he's try perhaps hard to know how sincere he is. We don't know his heart here. 
But we do know that he does eventually go out in front of everybody and bows down so he knows his life's at stake first. So there is some confidence in God restoring him. There's been some minor change here, but he's still shrewd in the way he does things. And so it's ultimately an answer to his prayer where he prays to God that you would protect me from my brother Esau. So he's warm and engaging more so than Jacob is. Jacob is still very suspicious. You can feel it. He's very, very suspicious. And of course, that is borne out by the fact that he doesn't continue on when his brother says, meet me in Seir. And, and, and he says, I'll see you there. And then goes in another direction. All right. Verses six through eight, Jacob says, the Lord has blessed me. And he gives the Lord the credit. And this seems to be, again, I want to give this to you as some sort of a repayment or a restitution. Hard to know his heart. In verse nine, Esau says, no, thanks. I've got plenty myself, so you can see that Esau's not in it. Esau seems to be the more genuine individual here, and yet he's the unbelieving son. He's represented in the New Testament as an unbelieving son, and Jacob is the believer. And it's another hint at, at how we can come across to the world when we're not consistent in our integrity. Then verses 10 through 11, Jacob insists, and he returns, he gives back to what was, was taken, and Esau accepts the gift. And 12 through 16, he lies about going back to Seir. He does not go back. He goes in a different direction. And you have to wonder, is Esau saying, same old Jacob. He said he was going to meet me in Seir, and he doesn't show up. So you can see the dynamics of all that is taking place here, all the struggles, all the problems, and all the difficulties. And so here's what I want to do in the remainder of our time. I want to take... Uh, I wrote down a number of years ago through a, a series of conflicts that I had seen. This was probably 25, no, about 25 years ago. Some dealings in the church and some dealings with, with another church that I had to help try to resolve some stuff. And I started, I started writing down in my own thoughts what I call the anatomy of conflict. And there's about 14 steps here, and we're going to look at some of the things that we're learning from this, from his whole life. Uh, Jacob's life, and how if those are not resolved, unresolved conflict is self-perpetuating. That's your tagline. Unresolved conflict is self-perpetuating. It just keeps going on until it's resolved. And if you've tried to resolve it, you've done everything you possibly can, then you leave it in the hands of God. But let me walk you through some of these, and we'll, and we'll take a look at what takes place in the life of these people here, plus other situations in life. The first the first step in conflict is an offense occurs. Some kind of an offense, and it, it, it takes place. It could be anything. It could be somebody said something, somebody hurt your feelings, you, know, you didn't get the, the pay raise you thought, something, whatever it happens to be, and it can be on a sports team, it can be in a neighborhood, it can be in a carpool, it can be in a marriage, it can be anywhere, but someplace an offense occurs. And... The scriptures are pretty clear to deal with it now. Because if you wait, the conflict will only exacerbate. It will only spread to others. It will only get worse. And I realize that almost everybody is conflict averse. We tend to just let things go. We think we'll deal with it tomorrow or the next day or whatever. And then it doesn't get dealt with. And here's what happens. Secondly, a biased view of the offense is shared with friends. You have an opinion as to what took place. You know, I can't believe George did this. And, 
and they have an opinion, and, they, and, and that person, George, goes to his friends. And when I say a biased view takes place, you are not likely to tell your side of the demise in the relationship or your side of the story. You're most likely going to say only what the other person did wrong. And even if you think you're just 10% wrong or 15%, you're not going to include that. That's just the nature. So a biased view is shared with others. All right? Not a good situation. Thirdly, friends take up an offense. Uh, we begin to see uh, this in this entire account here. Jacob's uncle Laban, after they had worked together for a long time, Laban tells his sons, he says, Jacob is cheating me. And you can read this, it goes back, we read it a number of weeks back. And Laban's sons start talking about how Jacob has been cheating their father. But then Jacob says to his wives, Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah, your father has cheated me all these different times. And now there's family conflict because people are taking up sides, and yet neither Jacob nor Laban are owning up to their side of the conflict. They're simply spreading more rumors, and it's causing more and more family conflict, and it just spreads down throughout the ages. So friends take up an offense. Thirdly, or fourthly, sides begin to form. And unfortunately, today, sides are easily formed because of technology more than any other time. One text, one tweet, one Facebook thing, one Instagram, whatever all these media things are, goes out there and, brother, it just blows somebody away. And then people start taking sides. You can just send out a, a, quick, a quick text and, and do damage, all right? And it's, it's, it's amazing because technology can make, that, make sides take place in just a viral way. It, that never could have been years ago. You'd have to go to one person or another. You don't have to do that anymore. And that may, that's one of the dangers of technology. Number five, suspicion on both sides develop. By the way, we'll put this on our website if you're trying to take notes or whatever. Suspicion on both sides develop. Jacob is very suspicious of Esau. That's why he came fearfully. And even though Esau says, hey, come on back with me. To my house. And Jacob goes, well, you know, the children, we can't push things too hard. And then Esau says, well, I'll go on ahead and I'll leave some of my men with you. Oh, well, that's not necessary. You can just see him trying to avoid going back to Seir. Why is he suspicious? I think he's suspicious because he's thinking, suppose I do move back and I'm near my brother. We are just so different. We are so different. This whole conflict could arise again. I know him well. I know how he thinks. And he knows how I think. And, and I just don't want this. I don't know, but I'm guessing by the excuses that he's giving for not following back. He just, and yet clearly, it seems like reconciliation has taken place. Esau has no grudge. He doesn't even want uh, Jacob's goods. It looks like all is well. But he's still suspicious. Number six, each side looks for evidence to confirm their suspicion, you can be sure they will find it. Each side will look for evidence to confirm their suspicion of the other side, which is exactly what has taken place with Jacob and Esau. 
They're starting to, to look at different things, and particularly Jacob and, and his uncle Laban. It was probably 30, oh, maybe, I don't know how far back it was, maybe 30 years ago. There was a church split in Leesburg, right down the center. Like, I can't remember how many people. It was a hundred people on one side, the hundred, it was right down the center. And one group was meeting in a funeral parlor, a funeral home on Sunday mornings. The other one was meeting in a, at a high school. And for some reason, I got a call to go out and try to resolve this thing. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So I went out and we, I said, only if you bring, uh, if, if I can speak to one group and another group, and then we'd all come together. And we did that. And I tried to calm things down. The best I know, I think the church continued to continue. I think they came back together. There was nothing specific that I said, I'm sure. But at any rate, it went on. It survived. I'm sure some people left. But in observing that and listening to all the different stories, it wasn't hard to realize that people looked for evidence to confirm their suspicion of the other side. And I've just seen this through the years. It happens in marriages. It happens in any kind of a, of a breakup. People are suspicious, and you can see this in Esau's life and, and Jacob's life, and particularly Jacob toward Esau. Number seven, exaggerated statements are made. I'm famished. I'm going to die. I'm going to kill him. And all those types of, of statements James says the tongue is set on fire from hell itself, all right? There is a danger. And then it goes on, it says, and it spreads like a fire. So if you're in the office and you start spreading rumors or you send out a, an email and it starts going all over the place or a text, whatever it happens to be, this is why the scriptures have so much to say about the tongue, about slander, about gossip, about reconciliation, about whole, how to go about reconciliation, about admitting wrong, about humility, about pride, all those kind of things are measured out in, in Scripture. But we tend to run to the way we naturally think. Number eight, and this was a tagline years ago that I gave. In the heat of conflict, those involved hear things that were never said and say things they wish they had never said. I will guarantee you Esau wishes he never said, I'm famished. I'm going to die. I, I know he wished he had never sold his birthright. I know he wished he had never said, I'm going to kill you. You can be sure that Jacob wished he had never said, I'm going to, I'm going to get his birthright from him because I know how impetuous he is and I'm just going to get this thing. You, you just, you're, you're always looking back and saying, what was I thinking in that moment? And so in the midst of conflict, those involved will often say things they wish they had never said and they will hear things that were never said. Number nine, Third parties, no matter how well-intentioned, can never accurately transfer information from one offended party to the other. Not unless a third party is in the room with both people. But if you get on the phone and you say, you know, uh, George really wants to resolve things, but he said you said this. What? I never said... That doesn't work, all right? Don't do that. If you can't sit down with both people, it's not going to go well, all right? You may want to talk to both people about coming together, but trying to transfer information back and forth doesn't work well. And that's exactly what's happened when uh, uh, Laban goes and tells one set of his children one thing, and Jacob goes and tells one set of his children something else, conflict. There's nobody sitting down trying to resolve this. There's no counselor here. There's nobody going through any of this. All right? Ten, past offenses unrelated to the original offense surface. You know, come to think of it, 
We've been friends for years, but every time we go out to lunch, I always pay the bill. That has nothing to do with the present conflict, all right? You know what they're saying? Every time we go out to lunch, I always pay the bill. That's exactly what's going on. Past offenses, unrelated to the present offense, surface. Because you start drumming up things you want to be angry at that person about. This is the Democrats and the Republicans all over again. This is just that everybody's just yelling at everybody. Nobody is sitting down and saying, let's talk this through. All right? Let's talk this through. I haven't been invited to solve that problem. So anyway. <laughs> Number 11. Integrity is challenged. Inte once integrity is challenged, things are really moving rapidly downhill. Because once that happens, and Jacob has challenged Laban's integrity and Laban's, Jacob's integrity, and now they had to split because of all that. They went their separate ways. They tried to reconcile. It wasn't much of a reconciliation. And now, number 12, and here's where everything just falls apart. People call each other liars. Once you have called somebody a liar, that relationship is done. It's very hard to deal with that, once you've called somebody a liar. And that's why, looking at our, at our present state, and this is true of every nation, different political parties, once they start calling each other liars or racists or hypocrites, boy, that just sets, the, just the, just sets everything on fire. And everybody's calling each other... But nobody is sitting down and saying, let's talk this through. Let's just have a good old conversation and walk through this. I imagine some of it's being attempted over a cup of coffee someplace, but that's not what you see. And the news, of course, loves to get things you know, moving, and, and we've heard it on both sides, so it's, it's, it's an absolute mess. Thirteen, those who try to solve the problem are blamed for not following proper procedure and become the new focus. It can be a counselor, it can be an elder, it can be your boss, it can be almost anybody. Those that, that wind up trying to solve it, they end up becoming the focus because they, they didn't solve it right. They didn't do it right. I've been through that a number of times. All right. And then lastly, many are hurt. Okay. If all of these things had been dealt with immediately, this wouldn't have happened in the life of Jacob and Esau, and Rebekah, and Isaac, and Laban, and their children, all this, had this been dealt with properly, but it wasn't. So, let's pause for a moment and go back to the original question. The original question was, do you have an outstanding, unresolved conflict? If so, and if you have tried to resolve it and you've done everything you can, you're fine. Your conscience is clear. And if it got resolved, that's fine. If you thought, eh, let it go. I'm not going to do anything about it. That's still going to be like a little pebble in your shoe. It's still going to be rattling around. An unresolved conflict just absorbs a tremendous amount of energy in people's lives. You play those videos in your mind, you get angry, you can't sleep at night, all that. Do everything you can to at least be the initiator to pick up the phone or call somebody or whatever and say, listen, we've said some hurtful things to one another. We've been good friends for a long time. Let's sit down over a cup of coffee and walk through this thing. I've done that. I've had to go through those a few times. And many times they've worked out very well. Some haven't, but many have. And it's, it's the only way to do it. So if you've got that, make sure you do it. So, number one, if in, in resolving this, uh, stop things early. Don't, don't, don't wait. I had a 
guy called me many, many years ago on the phone. His name was Mark, guy that long gone, but dear friend. And he called me one day. He said, Mike, I don't know what it is, but I just, I just sense like you're upset with me about something. And I wasn't, but he sensed it and he did the right thing. Uh, and I said, no, we're fine. It was nothing. And, uh, but, but it was in his mind. And had he not done that, he would have sort of perpetuated that. And it would have just continued to go. And, and, and he, that's just not the way to do it. Don't sweep things under the carpet because the carpet just gets this huge lump. And pretty soon, if it's a husband and wife and you keep sweeping under the carpet, you can't even see each other anymore. All right? <laughs> You've got to deal with these things as soon as they, as they come up. Matthew 25, 24 uh, Jesus says, if you have anything against your brother, before you go to the altar and bring your gift, make sure you get it settled with your brother or your sister. Ephesians 6 says, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. That's huge, with husbands and wives or siblings or whatever. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, lest you give place or territory to the enemy. It's like when you let the sun go down on your anger and you don't try to resolve something, it's like the enemy stakes out a piece of territory and drives his stake in the ground and says, this is mine. This is mine. And there's too much of it in life. And the Apostle Paul says, I want to have a clear conscience before God and men. And it's so important that we, that we do that. Check your pride at the door. If you're going to sit down and try to resolve something, just make sure that you take one hard look at your percentage of the involvement. Even if it, you think it's the smallest percentage, Believe me, the other person thinks theirs is the smallest percentage. No matter where it is, deal with it. And then ask for forgiveness. Not just I'm sorry. I am sorry and I ask your forgiveness for gossiping or for lying or for deceiving or for stealing your birthright, whatever it happens to be. Okay? And then leave it to the Lord. Leave it to the Lord because you can't possibly resolve everything. All right? There's another echo in this. And the echo is that Esau comes to Jacob and he throws his arms around him and he reconciles with his brother. He has no, no hard feelings. It echoes into the New Testament of the prodigal son, which continues to echo on that God is reconciling the world unto himself. Uh, we need to be reconciled to be made right with God. And that's the beauty of the gospel because you can see all this lack of reconciliation, this lack of being made right, but yet all of us are enemies of God through our sin. And all of us can be made right with God, reconciled, made right with God, restored relationship when we realize that we've sinned and offended a holy, righteous God. And when we confess that to Him and call upon Him to save us, we will be reconciled instantaneously made right with God. Are you right with God? <clears throat> Not being made right by offering gifts to God as Jacob did to Esau. Not being made right by, by doing something, but recognizing there's nothing on God's part that is wrong. It's our part that is wrong. And to be reconciled to God is simply to call upon His name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So for those of you that may not have done that, today is the day of salvation. For those of you that are believers and from anybody here, if you have unresolved conflict, deal with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of opening up your word and seeing what you have to say about reconciliation and conflict. And Lord, I would pray that not one person would leave here today without 
calling upon you to give them everlasting life, to believe that you died, were buried, and rose again the third day. And you offer them just that. And Father, for, for all of us, if we have any, any unresolved conflict, that we would be the one, we would be the first ones to make the effort uh, to be reconciled. And now, Father, as we think of this very special week, and we think of our prayer night on Fridays, we think of, of the Seder on Thursdays, we think of, Lord, Sunday and the many people that will come out to hear the gospel, I pray, Lord, that you would use that time in a special way to have the gospel be very powerful. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.